All right. Good to see everybody out again for the PM service here at the Lakeside Church of Christ. So happy to see you and blessed and encouraged by you being here. It just means so much to me that there are people in this world that share the common interest of salvation and of God and of his things and of his word. And speaking of God's word, if you'd be opening up already to Acts chapter 8, that would be a great boon to me and to you. Acts chapter 8, where we'll be looking into an interesting little narrative about Simon the sorcerer. First, I want to talk to you guys about the fact that we come across a lot of different people in our lives. Some are more difficult than others. Some can kind of rub us the wrong way. Um, And the Apostle Apostle Peter was rubbed the wrong way by this man Simon here in Acts chapter 8. Uh, Before I get reading in the scripture, actually, I would like to encourage anyone who has any questions about any of the things that I I say uh, about the Word of God here, uh, if you have any questions, I'll be right on the foyer to answer those, and we do encourage those, and and I'll try to study with you more if we can reach a common understanding about these things. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 9, says that there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. And so, that brings us to the the wonderful place that Joshua teased about this morning. Imagine if you would, you're headed... You're headed with your buddy, a fellow brother in Christ. You're getting ready to go to to the local religious bookstore in Bowling Green, Kentucky. You're on your way. It's been a cool trek, had some cool spiritual conversations. This is actually the exact image that you would see if you were in Bowling Green. I went through the trouble of going on Google Maps and pulling the exact Chick-fil-A where this interesting event occurred. Joshua and I, we strolled into the Chick-fil-A, made our orders, got set down and everything, and we were just sitting there, kind of having a, a, a little back and forth conversation, a little banter, you know how it is. And Joshua notices out of the corner of his eyes this guy. And he's just a character. Like, you just see these guys, and it's like, there's something about this guy. He's just, there's something different about him. He's kind of, he's got this big handlebar mustache. He's, uh, it's, it looks like it's dyed black, actually. Um, and he has a huge Bible setting out in front of him. And I have no doubt that it was the King James Version. But it's, it's just there, and it's ornate and Baroque, and there's all kinds of patterns all over it. And you just can't help but notice the guy. And I mean, he's sitting there in the Chick-fil-A with the Bible out, pretty much just saying, please, please, somebody come talk to me about the Bible. It's kind of what we said, you know. We see this guy over here. This is the guy that really at least cares about the Scripture. So 
kind of put it out like, you know, Josh, I, I think we should go over there. And he was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and then we'll reconvene over here. And we did just that. So I sat down with this man and Jerry lets me know. He says, I said, well, real quick, I asked him this. I said, Jerry, I asked him his name. He said, Jerry. And I said, I'm Kane. Nice to meet you. And he said, how are you? And I said, I want to know how you're doing. And I want to know how you came to this exact spot right now. Tell me your story, Jerry. And I just kind of let him go. And so he just, on the Bible like that, he goes, I'm going to tell you something right now. God delivered me. God delivered me. God delivered me. And he delivered me from this and this and this and this. And he just gets real zealous and hyped up. And Joshua comes back from the bathroom and he just kind of comes right in the middle of the eye of the storm. And he's and he's going. This Jerry character is just going, telling us about all his adventures with God, how he destroyed four or five churches. He said, I broke up four or five churches like it's his like divine mission or something like that. And uh, he was just a super zealous guy. And amidst the conversation, we were kind of probing and just mostly asking questions and letting the guy kind of talk. And to be honest, he was doing about 90 percent of the talking, maybe 95, Josh, about 95. Yeah. Um, and. You know, we were just letting him go because that's kind of what's modeled for us with Jesus. I mean, he lets people talk and then ask some pro- some provoking questions. So as we did, he he discerned very quickly. He said, I know y'all boys are trying to lead me down a path, but I'm not going. And at that point, I was ready to get up. But Josh wanted to see if we could maybe dig a little more. So we did. And he he told us all about how we need to get the spiritual gifts that come with the Holy Spirit and just those miraculous abilities because he told us, looked us directly in the eyes with what I can tell was the utmost confidence and said these words, I am a prophet. And he was very convicted about that and very, he dug his heels in through the whole conversation about his ability and his miraculous gift of prophecies. And and so the main point of this story that I want us to take away is these people are are real. They're out there. There are people who legitimately believe that they're prophets or that they obtain these spiritual gifts in one kind of way. And so, brethren, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you could just turn with me there. We're actually going to be operating a lot in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. We're going to be discussing some vital questions about these spiritual gifts. Because concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I want you to know about these things and have the biblical perspective of kind of what these are all about. Error, it oftentimes just comes from this ignorance to the truth. I want us to be informed for two reasons. Number one, so that we're not led astray by false teachings so that we don't get sucked up in this kind of mess and, and start believing that we're prophets or sages or our faith healers and things like that. And number two, probably the more useful thing, because I don't think anyone here is kind of teetering toward that end of the spectrum of number one. There are. We talk about that for services. But number two, so that we can actually help people and go out and take these kind of conversational tools and scriptures out into the world and discuss with, you know, your neighbor who may be a prophet or a faith healer or someone, you know, who just foretells the future, whatever they may be. Um, Talk with them about those things. 
I'd like to talk with you guys about spiritual gifts and break down kind of the, the biblical consensus on these things regarding kind of what were those gifts? What, what exactly were their functions? What was the effect that they had? What, what, what did it mean to have tongues or prophecy or knowledge, etc.? Number two, who had these gifts? Who was it that possessed the actual ability and who could legitimately say, I am a prophet? Etc. Also, why did the Holy Spirit, God, why did He grant these abilities to people? Why, why would God just decide now you can suddenly give prophecy? We're going to talk about that. Oh, okay, we're good. And then finally, when were these available? When did they come into place, and do we still have them today? Just trying to break down those concepts and and figure it out. Are you ready for that? If you are, and especially if you're a note taker, this would be a good place to take some notes so that you can be prepared to have these kind of discussions with folks. First question that we we were asking was, what? What were these spiritual gifts? We're in 1 Corinthians 12, I hope. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 4 through 10. Says that there there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And then in verse 5, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. So there's a lot of different gifts broken down here. And it is convenient that they're all listed just kind of cohesively, all in one spot where we can kind of see what they all are. The first gift that's discussed is the utterance of wisdom. And what that would be, you know, that would basically be your practical advice. What, no, no, you, you, you ask your, think of, think of like who would you go to in times of need when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. They think about your parents, your grandparents, depending on, you know, your age and whatnot of like, I want to talk to somebody who's really, really wise, who's lived a, a lot of life. Well, these kind of people who had the utterance of wisdom, they wouldn't have had to necessarily live those life lessons. They would just have them. Good, they would be a good person to go to counsel or, or practical advice. The second gift that's listed there is the utterance of knowledge, which would be kind of like, as soon as I hear the scripture, I don't need to ask like, well, what are the, what are the other teachings about this? It would just all cohesively just make sense. I would understand the scriptures or, or the word of God as it was being foretold. Faith. This is not the saving kind of faith that we talk about that allows us to be saved. This is more of the doctrinal faith or the faith in Ephesians chapter 4 that we read about. The one faith or, or, or just Christianity. Then we have healing, which is the instant and immediate relief of illness, disease, or disability. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 7, you want to turn there just real quick. Peter took the beggar by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Peter healed this guy, and when he healed him, it happened immediately on the spot the second that he healed him. Uh, brief little snippet. I had a faith healer tell me once that he healed someone's dog. 
Um, and uh, yeah, Annie's laughing because she was there when it happened. And uh, he basically said, I saw this dog. It was limping at these people's houses. I touched the dog and then I came back six months later and it was walking just fine. And that's not the gift of healing. Sorry to say, you are not, you do not have spiritual gifts, sir. Okay. So uh, another thing too about healing that I thought would be interesting to note is that sometimes when faith healing doesn't work, people say it was the fault of the person that was being healed because they didn't have enough faith. That's never in the Bible at all. Just this, just a little note about healing. Um, miracles. This would be specifically miracles as in the supernatural kind of miracles, power over nature. Immediately what came to my mind when I read about this is Jesus walking on the water, those kind of miracles where it's like, that don't make no sense, but it's fine. You can do it still. Um, now we get to the ability that our, our good friend Jerry possessed, and that's prophecy. And that's that would be a new revelation coming from God, most likely. It could be foretelling of future events, but it was more likely just new information about the faith and things that ought to be done. Then we have discerning of spirits. The way that I thought of it is you just have super duper awesome intuition. I can just tell instantly if I start talking to Luke and he's being shifty, I can just know. Luke's got that shifty aura about him. If I'm if I'm talking to Annie and I think she's trying to surprise me with something, I'm going to know. You know what I mean? I just have the ability to intuitively know when something's up. Um, and then we have tongues. A lot of controversy about tongues. Uh, tongues allowed the tongue speaker to speak in an understandable language that they did not know. Um, tongues are controversial. Uh, so just open up, just flip over to 1 Corinthians 14 real quick and we'll clear up all the controversy about that. Uh, tongues, they could be, they could always be understood by the hearer. That was the thing about tongues. You heard it, you, you could understand it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 9 says, Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. And so that's the thing kind of about tongues that gets misinterpreted in the modern religious world is that people think that it's just a bunch of just babbling in some foreign unknown tongue and that no one's meant to understand. That's completely false. The Bible says that here in 1 Corinthians 14 that the point of tongues is that they can be understood by those that would hear it and the audience that it would be directed toward. Finally, the last gift is the interpretation of those tongues. If Someone is speaking in tongues. This person can break down what they that, what it is that they have said. So that's basically all the spiritual gifts that are listed there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, so now we kind of understand the question of what are these gifts? What are the function of the gifts? We know kind of what they are about and kind of we, we get that. So then the question is, who was it that possessed these spiritual gifts? Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 will tell us that the apostles obtained these gifts. Spoiler alert. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, some people of different religious groups would say that this passage meant that the Holy Spirit fell on all the whole multitude that was gathered there. Again, that is completely false. And it just strikes me as odd that they would all be gathered together in verse 2 in the same house. 120 people for no apparent reason. That, that kind of struck me, strikes me as odd. And that's one thing that would mean that this can't be the whole multitude that was gathered there. Um, so, but there's many other, many other indications that point to that. But just a brief snippet there. Um, this is the Holy Spirit had fallen on the apostles. And the apostles were the ones that initially obtained that gift. The apostles had the gift of the Holy Spirit imparted to them because of their office and their station. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 21 through 22, we find out the qualifications of what made an apostle. First, they had to be there with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, from the baptism of John. Secondly, they had to be witnesses to his resurrection. Now, I do think that means very literally they, they saw the resurrected Lord. And knowing this, we can only conclude that there are no apostles left today in the biblical sense. And that's important to understand. Furthermore, the apostles could then impart these gifts upon other people to give them these gifts. You don't have to turn there, but if you're real quick in your Bibles, you can. Acts chapter 8, verse 17 and 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 are both examples of the doctrine that's within the New Testament that the Holy Spirit gifts could be transferred by the laying on of hands. And there's really no other way that they could be transferred from someone whom he had fell on to another person. That's, that's just it. So there are two camps of people that had Holy Spirit gifts. And that was, number one, the, the twelve, uh, the original twelve, minus Judas plus Matthias, um, and then those to which they would have laid hands on, and that would include like Timothy and other believers that they thought they thought it wise to give those gifts. So now we kind of understand who had those abilities, and uh, if you'll will notice, there are no mention of anyone living today, and that would include Jerry the prophet, sadly to burst his bubble. Moving on, why did the Holy Spirit give these gifts? Hebrews chapter two and verse four. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. First and foremost, this passage does not read that these miracles and signs and wonders were delivered to the apostles so that they could go around making everybody's life a better, more pleasurable, enjoyable life. If this were the mission of the Holy Spirit, then Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father would have made it so that we just formed heaven on earth. That was not the primary purpose of these miracles. It's here. He bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Meaning that number one... He did this to confirm the message. Mark 16 and verse 20 reads that. Mark, that, that, that the Holy Spirit 
gave these gifts so that the men who would be wielding these abilities, it would be unquestionable that they were true in what that they were saying. They, that gave so much more emphasis and force to the message of Jesus in the gospel that that because anybody could go around claiming that they were the Messiah, but to have these, oh, these guys probably do have God on their side, you know. So that's that's the thing there. And then also another really important function of these spiritual gifts is in John chapter sixteen and in, in verse twelve through fourteen, and that was to reveal God's word and to. To, to actually give us the Bible. You know, we sing that song, give me the Bible. That was a lot more literal for them back then. They were like, let's get these scriptures together, you know, because they didn't have them. These men would have to come up and the Holy Spirit would then enact within them and give them that knowledge of kind of what to say and, and how to say it. And that's that's how that, that was done back then. And so that was key. John chapter 16 and verse 12 through 14 says... Uh, This is the words of Jesus. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, that being the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Those gifts like knowledge, wisdom, faith and prophecy that would be integral during this time. In order to reveal God's word. Okay. So now we know why. Confirm the message. Reveal the, reveal the word of God. So now we can ask. When? When were spiritual gifts? When did they become available? And are they still around today? Important question. Especially for the religious controversy that's out in the world today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verses 8 through 12. 13 verses 8 through 12. In 1 Corinthians. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the prophecies will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, when will these pass away? When the perfect comes. What is the perfect? Remember before that we established that the purpose of these gifts were What? Number one, to confirm the message that was being preached by the apostles and the Christians that were going out spreading the gospel of Jesus. Number two, it was to reveal God's word. And now that we have the full revelation of God's word, it is now perfect and complete. We have all that we would need. Allow me to demonstrate that to you now. If anything came out in a prophecy, if Jerry had anything to say to us there in that Chick-fil-A, and it agreed with the Word of God, it would be redundant. It would not be a prophecy. We would have already heard about it. Someone already said it. It can't be a prophecy. It's already done. And if it had disagreed with the Word of God, then it would be heresy. 
So any prophecies that he might tell us would not be prophecy because the purposes of prophecy have been revealed. They have been the message that they supported has been confirmed. It's revealed. It's confirmed. So now we know that that that, that the perfect has come. We have the complete revealed word of God that gives us the whole counsel of God and everything that we need to know to be saved. So now we have it. We have the who, the what, the when, and the why, and and all those important questions about spiritual gifts, and we're armed, and we're strapped, and we're ready to talk to people about these things. But still, we're going to encounter some errors that will need addressing for sure. Number one, people are going to say this. The Bible does say that we should desire spiritual gifts. And my response to that is, does the Bible actually say that we should desire spiritual gifts. A little thought experiment. Reading this verse here. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Guys, are we dropping the ball here? Have we needed to build an ark this whole time and nobody's let me in on it? If so, y'all are some rough brethren. I thought y'all loved me. No, that's not the case. You all do love me. I'm, I'm pretty sure anyway. And um, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 4, if you read it, it's written to Noah. It's Noah. Nobody's building an ark out in the religious world today, except for those at the ark encounter. That, that thing's pretty cool. But secondly, another thought experiment. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. We have not boiled any rams lately at all. And I'm curious as to why that is, you guys. And this is my solemn rebuke to you all. Gotta get that ram in here. No. No, no, no. It does say you, but it's not meant for the reader. Not today's reader. It was meant, it was mentioned to the Levitical priest in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 31. We don't have any Levitical priests today. Jesus nailed the old law to the cross. And so when we reach this passage here in 1 Corinthians 14 that says, pursue love, And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Which probably our friend in the Chick-fil-A, Jerry, had read. And to his credit, he was reading his Bible. And he determined that this was written to him. But who was this written to? Well, this was written to the Corinthians before the full counsel of God had been revealed. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says that we should be able to rightly divide the Word of God. That means we have to be able to do the thing that we did earlier in this lesson. And that's answer the what, the who, the why, and the when of the Scripture that we're reading. If we can't do that and do that accurately, then we're going to be ripping Scriptures out of their context and chopping and screwing the Bible and making some kind of monstrous Frankenstein out of the, the religion of Christianity. We cannot do that. Secondly, an error that we might encounter is that some people say, Gifts of the Holy Spirit are what makes a person or a church a spiritual group. You know, I mean, if a lot of people came in here from these kind of backgrounds where they believe this, they would say this church is spiritually destitute. We've not got our lampstand. We're all just kind of mucking along. And that is not the case. <clears throat> there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 29 through 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29 through 31, Paul said, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? 
Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. These higher gifts that Paul mentioned are the things that come from loving God. These are the things that are are mentioned down there in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 through 3. This is, this is what happens when you're truly being led by God. When you're willing to live as a holy and living sacrifice to Him. The apostle continues here. Just right out of chapter 12 where we just read. Into, into chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love... I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, then I, begin, then I gain nothing. These higher gifts, this is a contrast here. Paul is saying there's something much greater. It don't matter a lick if you speak in tongues or if you can prophesy. If you don't have the love of God and the love of your neighbor, you're not a spiritual person. You're just a guy with some cool powers. You have to have the love of God. And that's another thing too, that's the the higher gifts that we find in Galatians is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the higher gifts. These are what really truly identify a spiritual person and a spiritual church. When we have these qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Obedience to God is what makes someone spiritual. Finally, the most common phrase we hear out in the religious world today, but you don't know what I felt in my heart, Cain. You don't know what I felt in my heart there in that Chick-fil-A. The Holy Spirit was passing through. And to that I say, Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can hope to understand it? I was talking with Joshua about this con- this concept down uh, down in the office, and uh, he said it best. He said, "You got to tune your compass. Sometimes your heart is a good indicator. Sometimes your conscience is something to go by. But sometimes your compass is all out of whack. And if it's if it's like that, then you need to tune it with the Word of God so that you know where to go. Your emotions they're just not a good compass at all." There's a lot of things that make me emotional, me, Kane Atkinson, that I enjoy. I love roller coasters. I love my family. I love little things like seeing a dandelion blow off all of its little seed things. That makes me happy inside. But that doesn't mean that those things are spiritual on in and of themselves or that, that I'm being spiritual while I'm riding a roller coaster and that's for the Lord. Just because that's how I felt in my heart. If my feelings are not in agreement with God, then they're wrong. And this is a harsh example, but some people take drugs and it makes them feel awesome. And they feel great in their heart. But that is not from God. That is not from God at all. And God has... Another thing too is that a worship assembly is not meant to be driven by emotions. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40 says that Worship is meant to be done decently and in order. That means that we're not supposed to come in here to a big clamor and and things have an order to them. You'll notice that these services had an order to them. They're going to have an order to them next Sunday. 
John chapter 14 and verse 15 says that the true love of God is to obey Him. That's the love that comes. It's not just like a pleasurable outpouring of emotions. Again, I, I, I kind of mess up my bullet points, but you, you get me. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40, worship is to be ordered and reverent, not an emotional spiral. So, these are some various errors that come with the kind of thinking that spiritual gifts are here today. That, that our emotions are driving these gifts, and as long as I feel emotions while I'm using them, then I have them. And, and that's not the case. And it's not the case that I can just take scriptures and rip and tear them and put them wherever I want. And it's really just not the case that we need spiritual gifts today to be a spiritual person. And so, in conclusion, I don't want anyone to come away saying that Cain went into a Chick-fil-A with Brother Josh and now he doesn't believe in spiritual gifts anymore. I do believe in spiritual gifts. I very much believe in spiritual gifts. I believe that back in the day that Jesus walked on the water. I believe that. I believe in those miracles of those times. I believe that the Red Sea was parted back in Exodus. I believe those supernatural things happened. And I believe that the apostles had those spiritual gifts that we've been talking about. I believe that they could lay on hands and heal people. I believe that they could prophesy and that, that they had perfect knowledge of the teachings of Jesus. I believe those things. And I hope that you believe that too. And I hope that you've helped, that I've helped you in some way to consolidate or to understand the simple truth on the matter of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We must hold fast to this truth. And now that we're a little bit more equipped and it's kind of fresh on our minds, I want us to take this lesson into our local Chick-fil-A establishments and into the McDonald's and into the hedges and into the highways. And find someone who is confused about spiritual gifts. And I want you, and I'm charging you all, to go out and to do this. To take the things that I've imparted to you, and, and reminded you of, or taught you newly, to go take these things, and to just share them with people. And be unashamed of the truth of the Bible. So that when you walk into a Chick-fil-A, and you see a guy with the, the big handlebar mustache, you say, Cain and Josh got me ready for this when I'm ready to go. You go right in headlong and you just take advantage of that opportunity. And it doesn't mean that you have to go converting everyone. But you got to try. Because God is truth. And His Word is absolutely true. And we have the complete Word of God delivered to us about the truth on spiritual gifts. It is the Word where we can read about the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? The gift of the Holy Spirit is the free gift of God. The salvation that comes through an obedient faith to Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, If you've heard the word, then you, have, then you can have that faith that comes by hearing it. John chapter 3 and verse 16 says that if you believe, that you should not perish but have eternal life. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3 says that you must repent though and turn from your sins. Matthew 10.32 says that you must acknowledge Christ before men, that He is the risen Lord. And finally, you must be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. If you've not received the gift of the Holy Spirit, then we make that available to you as we stand and as we sing.